Now the news. Well, Presidential Press Secretary Jim Haggerty took the back way out of Tokyo today, outwitting an estimated 100,000 leftist-leaning students and workers who planned another mass demonstration against the proposed visit to Japan of President Eisenhower. Haggerty, not visibly shaken by the riotous greeting he received yesterday, left the Japanese capital and headed for Anchorage, Alaska, to await the president's arrival there tomorrow afternoon. A side note to the story is that while Haggerty was making his backdoor exit, students and other left-wing demonstrators were pummeling Prime Minister Kishi's home with rocks and defacing the property, then moving on to the American embassy, but the elusive Jim wasn't there. More news in a moment. Sweet Adolai. Hey, what's that? That's the new L&M song. Like that beat. Mmm, like that taste. In today's L&M, fine tobaccos can be blended. Blended, blended, blended. Not to suit a filter, but to suit your taste. L&M has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. Reach for flavor. Reach for L&M. While American politicos sit back and cool their heels, a fire is once again building on our doorstep. Castro, the Caribbean's bearded bad boy, is undermining everything Uncle Sam is trying to do, as Robert Perez reports from Havana. Prime Minister Fidel Castro seems to be grooming the Cuban people for a break with the United States. Observers here believe recent deals with the Soviet bloc and the upcoming visit of Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev has given Castro the moral support for such a break. In the worst tirade in months, the bearded Prime Minister last night unloaded charges of espionage saying an American military plane had buzzed a Soviet ship 10 miles off the Cuban coast. He also charged a conspiracy between oil companies here and the State Department to leave Cuba dry. And of the United States notes, he said, they know we don't listen to them. This is Robert Perez, Havana. And now back to James McCarthy in Washington. Well, Russia finally figured a way out to milk some more headlines out of American spy pilot Francis Powers today. Red leader Khrushchev announced in Moscow that he personally is ready to aid the father of the pilot, see his son, if he goes to Russia. The State Department, according to reliable sources, had warned the father not to go to Russia since they would definitely grab upon the visit to make themselves look more like humanitarians. But now we've lost the initiative and again must stand by and look like fools while world opinion once more settles favorably on the picture of a fatherly, balding, commie bloodbath bus. No comment, by the way, from Mr. Powers has been issued. Resigned Navy officials are keeping their eyes turned skyward, hoping against hope that their runaway research balloon will soon run out of gas, helium type. The continent's spanning 40-story high balloon was scheduled to land somewhere in Texas with a wealth of radiation data, but thus far has never come close to land. It is now circling over the Pacific Ocean at a height where planes cannot shoot it down. That's the news. James McCarthy reporting. Listen, everybody. Charlie's going to be sociable. Now is the time to refresh without filling. So enjoy a Pepsi wherever you are. It's the light refreshment. But, Charlie, is that being sociable? I know, Kay. The song says it better. I think so. Stay up and stay up. Get up. 
have a Pepsi. Always have enough Pepsi on hand. Get extra cartons. Get a case. Be really sociable. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. WOR AM at FM, New York. By RKO General. It's five minutes past one. This is Ted Malley reporting the latest news from the WOR Newsroom. All right, okay. I will not say any more. I will just tell you this, that we are awarding a genuine bronze fig leggy with oak leaf palm to the person who can give me the name of that wonderful, fantastic, beautiful dream high school. I will play you the high school's theme song. And it is not the University of Chicago. Raise the flag for blankety-blank, boys. Show them where we stand. Ever-challenge meeting champions known throughout the land. Bula bula, bula bula, bula bula, rasmatula. I'm just doing this purposely for the lady who called in 15 minutes ago and says, Would you please tell your program director that this man is deliberately being idiotic? <laughs> oh, the beautiful people. And we will, we will give you the brass. We'll make it bronze this week. We'll give you the bronze figligee with oak leaf palm rising above the general great, vast, flowing coffee-brown river of human mediocrity, leaping like a beautiful rainbow trout for a fly, if you can tell me the name of that high school. Oh, and speaking of this lady who called in, out of the beautiful, she says, would you please tell that man he's being deliberately idiotic. <laughs> deliberately idiotic. And, and five minutes later, the phone rings, and uh, the, this guy comes on, he says, Will, will you tell Mr. Shepard that I am a German psychologist and I, I think his program is wonderful? Well, now that's fine. I appreciate that. Now, I don't know whether this lady who called in suspects that if she calls in and tells me that I'm being deliberately idiotic, that I will stop being idiotic and will become Bert Parks, which obviously to her probably is this man there. I mean, he, everyone understands what he says. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know whether I'm supposed to become Burt Parks or Hugh Downs or what. Well, what I would like to propose would be this. If somehow I could get all the people who hate my program, and they must be legion, uh, and, and get all those who like my program, all seven of them, and get those people together on the telephone so they can argue it out so I can continue to do my work in peace for crying out loud. I really would like to do this. So so let's get the names of all the people who can't stand me, and we'll get the names of a half dozen people who like my show, and get them on the phone during these two hours. <laughs> Together, I mean, get them arguing it out. I mean, let them... Hey, you know, I'm sitting there the other day. I, I've got to... Com I really have to confess something. I just must confess something. I'm watching... I, I'm sitting... Uh, watching a television set and I, I see a newsreel of Rocky and I see a newsreel come on of of uh, of Kennedy and Stuart Symington was there. They It was just a picture where they were showing all the different presidential candidates and Nixon came on and uh, Adley Stevenson was shown and I'm sitting there watching this 
And I turned to this guy next to me, and I said, boy, wouldn't it be great to run for president? I mean, really great. And he said, oh, no, what do you mean? What do you mean? Nah, 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 nah. Well, of course, this is pure hogwash, absolute pure hogwash. There isn't a guy anywhere with glands, not one man that I really, really can find and, and to beat him down till he's being purely and completely honest, who wouldn't like to be followed around by 500 people taking every word he says down and transmitting it to 500 million people. There isn't one guy, not one, who has glands who wouldn't like to do this. And, and, of course, the American way is to take the opposite tack. In other words, to pretend that you wouldn't want to be president. No, no, what are you talking about? Ridiculous. And here's some guy working in a little clerk's job somewhere, you know. And, he's saying, and he'll say, oh, I wouldn't take that job on a, on a, on a, oh, for a million dollars, I wouldn't take that job. And, of course, the, the, the interesting thing about it is that if you had asked him 15 minutes before he took his clerk's job, whether he would take the clerk's job for a million dollars. He was a clerk sitting there all my life, sitting there by those file cabinets. I would for a million dollars. I wouldn't sit next to a file cabinet all my life. What are you talking, man? You're going to be a crazy man? Well, I am standing before you now, and I am clearly and honestly admitting, after watching that newsreel and seeing these guys stand up on platforms and everybody cheering them and everybody taking every word they say down and putting it into, into all sorts of forms, television, newsreel, print. Wouldn't it be great to run for president? I mean, really. How does it happen where, where two or three guys suddenly find themselves... I've listened to the presidential candidates, and, and none of them have impressed me as being men of really outstanding intellect. I mean, really outstanding intellect. I, I can name offhand two dozen people I know who are far more perceptive than any one of the candidates that have run in the past five years or ten that I can recall. That, you know, that includes all of them. And, and how, how, what, what various twists and turns do, does your life have to go through to reach that point where suddenly you are running for presidency and people really seriously are considering you for it? What a fantastic thing that has to be. What a series of coincidences. What a series of gigantic, uh, unseen coincidences. To, to think, for example, uh, Truman, and, and it's getting pretty well established that Truman will, in the end, be considered one of the great presidents that uh, we have had, certainly in modern times, that, that here was Truman running a haberdashery store, and all these little twists and turns began to take over, and the next thing you know, he's president. What a, what a, what a, what a fantastic thing the presidency is. Has it ever occurred to you what, what it is? Here, here's a guy who comes out of Kansas, who enrolls in, in uh, West Point. He gets an appointment to West Point, and he comes from a farm community, from farmer parents. And he's just a second lieutenant. I have known second lieutenants, and, and most of the second lieutenants that I have come in contact with have been solid balsa wood from head to toe. And here he comes along, and he gets to be a second lieutenant, and one thing happens, one thing and another, uh, various little pieces start. It's like a gigantic combination lock, you know? And somebody is turning 15 right, 72 left, 46 right again, three turns to the right, two turns to the left, and this gigantic lock keeps going back and forth for 50 years. And then one day, it's all in place, and it goes clunk, and the guy's president. Boy, 
Have you ever looked upon your life as a gigantic combination lock? And, and you have no idea of the combination and things keep turning back and forth and the knob keeps twisting, twisting and turning until finally you reach the denouement. Clunk, and whatever's going to happen to you happens. But it, it's a tremendous thing, this presidency. Just becoming president is great. Just, just the whole process of becoming, getting to be the man out of 180 million people that winds up the president. And, and it's not, you know, you have the feeling at first when you see that these must be unusual men, remarkable men, that these have to be men who are, who are guys who carry within them some kind of a great torch. I have never found it so. And I have met now, well, let's see, I have talked, met briefly, well, well I, can, I can say only, only uh, I have seen three presidents in person. You know, I've been around where they were. But... Uh, so I can't say that, but I've listened to them talk, I've watched their speeches, and I've read everything about them that I can lay my hands on, and I have never found any one of them yet. Really, truly, I'm saying superhuman men, and we like to think of our presidents as a kind of a superhuman being, you know, because he is president. Maybe this makes him a superman. We have created a superman in our mind. But it's a very funny thing. I'm, I'm sitting in a car one time, in a, in a railroad car, by a large numbers of tricks of fate, I myself had gotten into a railroad car immediately following President Truman's re-election uh, when Truman was elected in 1948, uh, when no one thought he was going to win, and here he was, he was elected, and he was making a triumphal tour back over the country when, uh, just after the election, you recall, he took a train that, that stopped at every little way station all the way back from Kansas on his return to Washington. Well, I found myself in a car there, and there was Truman, and there was Mrs. Truman, and, and Margaret Truman, and there was a gigantic crowd out there cheering, and I was with a newsman who had all kinds of ins and got us into this car. And here I was, sitting right next to the president, this, this man who was, was just a newsreel figure to me. And Truman is sitting there, and a very, a very confident sort of a man, and very, very direct and very sure, and he's just sitting there. And... Uh, <laughs> And he looked at me, and I, I was looking out, and I could see all the people, and they're all yelling. And he looked at me, and he says, it sure is something, isn't it? <laughs> I said, you bet. He said, that's right. And I suddenly realized this guy was just exactly the same as I was, but by the various tricks and so on of nature, he had, or what is it, nature, fate, who knows, he had arrived at this point. And I'm sitting there the other night looking at, at Kennedy, and I'm listening to Stevenson, and I'm, I'm watching Symington, and I'm watching... A couple of these guys are pure meatballs, by the way. And I'm, I'm watching these guys talk, and, and there's platitudes and generalities, and, and they scratch themselves, and I'm thinking, wow. I'm saying to myself, wowee, wouldn't it be fantastic? Wouldn't it be great? I mean, really it would be. Let's admit it now. It really would be. And, of course, everyone said, what's this guy talking about? I wouldn't be president. Then, uh, what do you mean you wouldn't be president? My foot, you wouldn't be. The reason you say that is because you know you never will be. You know you have absolutely no chance. Let me tell you, buddy, if the phone rang tomorrow, and it was Zanuck on the line, and Zanuck said, and Zanuck said, uh, we're going we're gonna to make it. I can just see. If the phone rings here, I don't care. The phone rings, see. And I pick it up. And, of course, I'm going through life saying, I wouldn't be president for crying out loud for a billion dollars. That's a president. 
Yeah, if the phone rang, and, and, and here it was. You see, it's Ike on the phone. And he says, uh, Mr. Shepard, <laughs> who's this? Well, this is Ike, you know. Uh, you like me, you know, Ike? I say, yes, yes, oh, yes, oh, <laughs> yes, yes, Ike, Ike. <laughs> yes, Ike, Ike. Uh, yes, I know, hello, Ike, Ike. <clears throat> Ike, Mr. President, Ike. And he says, uh, just one moment, be calm, Mr. Shepard. Just be calm. Uh, Jim Haggerty and myself and uh, a couple of the boys of the party have been watching you, and we're going to groom you for 64. We're going to groom you for 64. <laughs> well, uh, <coughs> Brack, <coughs> Cough. Uh, of course, I had just said and had been saying for a hundred years before that I wouldn't be president for a million dollars. <clears throat> and he says, will you please drop down to my smoke-filled room? Uh, we're, we're changing the smoke. And uh, would you drop down to my smoke-filled room? We'll be here until 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're breaking out a couple of bottles, and we'd like you to drop down and talk it over. Buddy, I would be down there. I would make all of, 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 uh, of, of Einstein's fourth-dimensional theories look like old hat getting down there. I would appear by, by teleportation. I would come out of the I would come out of the out of the radiators down there so fast I would come. I wouldn't wait for the doors to open. <laughs> and and if anybody in in the crowd here is honest, they would say the same thing. Let us admit it. Speaking of saying the same thing, we have with us today Ying and Yang. And let me tell you, buddy, finding a good restaurant open in New York during the summertime on the weekend. Well, I mean, you know, this this town uh, <laughs> this town is a gigantic deserted bowling alley during the weekends, especially especially on a good weekend. And let me tell you, if you are coming into town sometime over the weekend, or if you're staying in town, you want to eat at a at a really fine restaurant. I can I can do no better than to recommend Ying and Yang on Third Street down in the village. And it's, and don't get don't get scared by the term village. It's very simple to get there. Many people don't. They seem to think that the village is a kind of a uh, impenetrable maze. All you do is get in a cab and just tell the tell the driver that you want to go to Third Street in the village, 82 West Third Street. It's very simple. It's right back at the NYU campus, and the food is magnificent here, really. And they're open until, oh, they're open until one something like uh, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning this morning. And they're open on Sundays. They open at noon on Sunday. It's a beautiful place to go for a Sunday dinner. They're open from noon until 2 o'clock in the morning. They have, a, they have a fine bar. And let me say this personally. I would highly recommend that you order those magnificent chicken wings. There is, there is no, no, fo no fowl dish, no, no chicken dish that I know of comes close to these chicken wings that they serve as an appetizer at Ying and Yang. This, and, oh, yes, one more thing. You, you, you must wear a coat. Don't go down there in a sport shirt unless you have a tie. You must have a coat on. They don't demand ties, but they demand coats. Uh, this is Ying and Yang. They only have 18 tables. It's a beautiful little restaurant. One of the gourmet magazines recently referred to them as one of the five outstanding oriental restaurants in the entire United States. It is a fine restaurant. They're at 82 West 3rd Street, and it is Ying and Yang. And call them before you go down for a reservation. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Attention Plainview residents, a brand new, ultra-modern, completely decorated Wallbaum supermarket has opened on Old Country Road at Plainview Road. Don't miss this grand opening. 
Don't miss the fabulous specials. And don't miss the Wall Bombs grand opening in Plainview at Old Country Road and Plainview Road. You are tuned to WOR 710 and WOR FM in New York, one of the stations of RKO General. Which, uh... <coughs> Speaking of generals, I can just see... Uh, boy, I'll tell you, wouldn't the promotion department have a ball if Shepard was offered the nomination in 1964? I could just see him. What a great credit, Shepard. <laughs> Maybe Kilgallen will do a bit on it. <laughs> oh, what a kick in the fanny. Oh, what poor, sad dreams. What poor, sad dreams. Well, on the subject of uh, poor, sad dreams, a guy wrote to me, I, I, we've got to do something about this. Of course, you and I both know that the individual in today's society is almost completely helpless. He has nothing. I mean, nothing. What can you do about it? All of us just sort of shrug our shoulders. What are you going to do? It's like it's like it's we're, we're part of a gigantic cuckoo clock. It's an enormous cuckoo clock. If you can imagine society as this tremendous cuckoo clock, and each one of us is an itsy-bitsy-wee cog in the machine. It's just an itsy-bitsy little cog. And the whole business, of course, is dependent on each one of us. The little thing. I mean, after all, you're all part of... And don't think for a minute that this isn't true. That the whole structure of civilization, this, this gigantic honeycomb, each, each one of us has a bit, you know. Well, we're all playing our miserable little part in the enormous drama that was written by a combination of Tennessee Williams. <laughs> I just thought of a thing. I better not say it. I, I know what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know what would happen. You know what happened. Uh, all right, I'll tell you this. I was sitting with a publisher the other day. Now, don't go away, Mario. This is this is for you. I'm sitting with a publisher the other day. We are in a world. I'm telling you, we are in a world that is so scared of of each other, of everybody, that the whole world is like a gigantic plate of jello, and everybody is shaking for fear they're going to make somebody else mad. And and always the implication is that this somebody else that we are making mad is somebody we should be afraid of making mad. In other words, we, we don't have the guts to make people angry anymore. And who are these people? They're just us. They're afraid to make us mad. And so it, it gets to be an enormous Chinese nail puzzle or something, you know. And so the other day I'm sitting with a, with a publisher, and this guy, they, they're a very famous publisher. They see millions and millions of books every year, you know, guys writing manuscripts and so on. It's a frightening thing when you think of the, the numbers of blank pages that are being filled with idiotic pap these days. All guys are pouring this stuff out. And so he gets this all the time, and he is the head, the head editor of this thing. And, of course, what happens when you're a publisher, you become aware of a lot of things in the world, just as when you're sitting in this seat that I'm in you become aware of a lot of things in the world that the average person is not aware of because he does not have as many things directed at him. He is not... He, uh, the, the, the millions of fluttering leaves in this great, great falling snowstorm do not necessarily impinge on the lives of many people, so they think it's not snowing, you know. And so some clown sitting next to his fireplace there figures it's not snowing and the, and the darn snow is already up to the third story, but he doesn't see it because he's sitting next to his fireplace. Well, that is the, 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 the lot of the average private citizen today. It's such a gigantic snowstorm that he doesn't see it. 
And so here's this publisher who gets a lot of that that drift, you know. A lot of it's coming in. Uh, he, he catches a lot of snowballs in the ear. And so he's sitting there, and we're talking about publishing. And he says to me, you know, Shepard, he says, I'll tell you what the world is like now. He says, if some guy, if, if somebody, if some gigantic, all-seeing hand had just written the Bible, and the Bible arrived in the average editorial office, in the average publishers today, a new book, you see. I'm talking, it's a new book. The Bible has not, suddenly the Bible appears, see, and it's sent to this publisher by a, a gigantic unseen agent. The Bible arrives, and the editor opens it up, just another manuscript, see, and he reads it, he says, I can't publish this. Why, I would, I would alienate every religious group in the United States if I published this. <laughs> and think about it for a minute. <laughs> about it. I am not being facetious. If you listen carefully to what I have said, I have just made a pro-Bible statement. Not an anti-Bible statement, a pro-Bible statement. And if you listen carefully, I have just made a pro-God statement, but an anti-man statement. That's very different. And so so this guy says, he says, you know, he says, if, if the average editor got the Bible submitted to him, he'd say, I, I can't. It's just too many pressure groups. What is this? Is it not, not bad? It's, it's written well? There's some nice imagery here, but but I would I would uh, I just I just can't afford to alienate that many people. After all, I'm in business, and the next thing you know, it would be wrapped up and sent back. It would probably wind up in an expurgated version in this in the in the Reader's Digest, you know, with all the meaty parts taken out and all the all the Daryl Zanuck and the Samuel Goldwyn and the Cecil B. DeMille parts left in, you know, the business of the golden calf and everybody hollering and. And uh, Salome appearing with the big dance, and the, you know, <laughs> this is what we would get. <laughs> it's just the way that, just the way we make biblical pictures today. You know, we never touch on the Bible <laughs> in biblical pictures, not really. And so here we sit on our duffs. Now, speaking of this, you know, speaking of, of a little man being erased, I got a letter from a guy the other day, and he says, Shepherd, he says, do you realize that you are not listed in the radio section in the radio log of the New York Times? On Saturday, your name is not listed. He says, this makes you a being not fit to print. <laughs> well, I'd suspected it all along, son. It just hasn't been made official yet. And now that it is official, well, I feel better about it in a sense now. Now I can, now I can, I can genuinely forget my name. It's the way John Crosby put it one day. You know, Crosby was talking about the quiz show contestants. There's a quiz show where people have to uh, have to pretend they're somebody else. And the idea is to guess which one of the three people up there is really what he says he is, you know. They give you another identity. And he says that, that after a person has been doing this for half an hour, the little script girl has to give all three of the people a card with his real name on it. They find that the guys forget their real name. That's how, how slight our, our relationship is with our own identity these days. I can suddenly, believe me, give me 15 minutes and I can believe I'm Joe DiMaggio. Just talk to me enough and, and I'll start reminiscing, you know, about that big hitting streak I had. <laughs> if you don't believe it, there are about three guys on television today who do nothing but sit around and, 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 and pour out uh, various, uh, various bogus uh, confessions. They sit around and they confess to millions of bogus sins and they confess to millions of bogus achievements. And then after a while, they believe that they did it, which, which is one of the sadder 
commentaries on our on our world. Hey, speaking of sad commentaries, listen. Uh, we have with us the paper book gallery, and one of the sad commentaries about the paper book gallery is that ever since the paper book gallery down on Sheridan Square in the village has begun to be really important. Uh, this has been in the last year or so. They've really taken off, and, and uh, people r- recognize the paper book galleries. One of the really unusual uh, paper book distributors in this area. It's, it's an important little organization. Ever since this has happened, there have been dozens of little paper book shops opening up down in the village, all of them claiming to be the paper book gallery. Now, I want, want to warn you of this. I want to warn you of this, and listen carefully. If you are planning to go down to the paper book gallery, and you, you walk into some place, it's happened to me. In fact, I did it the other night myself. I walked into a place down in the village, and I said, uh, I just wanted to see, because I had gotten letters from people complaining about this. I walked into this place, uh, just a little place where they sell paper books, and I walked in, I said, is this the place that Shepard is talking about on the radio? And the guy looked at me and goes, wah, wah, ha, ha. And he sort of made a sound that meant yes, but if I had really trapped him, he just went, wah, 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 wah. I'm busy, yeah, yeah. I said, is this the place that Shepard talking? Yeah, yeah. And, and so he was perfectly willing to let me believe this was the place. It is not. And if you want to go to the real paper book gallery, the, the, the genuine paper book gallery, which is on Sheridan Square, there's also another one right down the street from Ying and Yang on 3rd Street. If you go into the paper book gallery, just go up to the clerk, and this is the way we have to check, go up to the clerk and just say Excelsior. He will then do something, and you will know they are legit and genuine. But the paper book gallery is on the west side It's on the west side of Sheridan Square. To get down into the paper book gallery, you have to make about three steps down. It's about three or four steps down, and it's a beautiful little corner shop. It's where uh, where 10th Street comes into Sheridan Square, 7th Avenue South. And let me tell you, uh, in the springtime, there is no no more yeasty atmosphere in New York than the yeasty, bubbling, hissing, steaming, popping atmosphere of the paper book gallery. I mean, it begins to happen. In fact, uh, every every Saturday night, myself, I go down there. I'm I'm usually in oh I'm usually in the gallery. I go down usually after dinner because it is a real Saturday night place, and they're open until two o'clock this morning. And uh, you know, this is the paper book gallery. And it's on Sheridan Square in the village, and there is only one paper book gallery. They have two shops, but there is only one organization known as the paper book gallery. There are a lot of places that call themselves the paper book this or the paper book that. There's only one paper book gallery, and we advertise only one. And it's the only one that I myself personally will recommend because I know what they've got down there. I know what they can do. It's one of the best paper book distributors in the world. This is the paper book gallery on Sheridan Square in the village. And speaking of the village, listen, I did a terrible thing. Will, will somebody will somebody uh, do me a favor here? Uh, every Saturday before I come in, I call the electronic workshop to find out what they have specially running this week or what they have to offer this week that they would like to talk about. And I came in about two minutes before the show this morning, and I just didn't get a chance to do it. And uh, I have nobody here right now who can do it. So will somebody out there give 
give a call right now to Gramercy 30140. Do me a favor. Call Gramercy 30140 and ask for Len. <laughs> And, and tell him Shepard wants to know what he wants to what he wants him to talk about. What what he, what is his special for this week? What what he has particularly that he wants to discuss on the show this morning. So will you call quick? We've only got about 17 minutes. I want to find out. It's Gramercy 30140. Call the electronic workshop and quickly give me a call here. I'd like to know. Hurry for crying out loud! Hurry. Uh, the, the workshop, in case you don't know about it, is one of the most unusual, uh, one of the most unusual electronic establishments in the city. Uh, you know, there's a very funny thing about most of the people down there at the workshop. Cliff, for example, uh, who is uh, studying for his, uh, for his MD right now, almost all of them are people who have this same feeling that I have and that most everybody else I know who is partially civilized, that electronics are not bringing the family closer together. That the, that the, in spite of the ads that have been popping up recently, that television brings the family closer together, it does precisely the opposite of that. And there is that atmosphere. Now, most people I know have some sort of hi-fi equipment, and many people I know uh, are, are interested in other equipment. They would like to get a new preamp or they would like to get a new turntable. If there's anything that has been a bane on modern man's discussion, has been a blight on his discussion, it's been the turntable. <laughs> this is a thing I have never seen a really good turntable that is automatic. I, I, I'm, I'm against automatic turntables almost by definition. But that's my own particular crotchet. It may not be yours. But if you are looking for the finest collection of turntables in the city, I would suggest you find out about the workshop. But the thing that's important about the workshop, sure, you can buy this equipment at a lot of other stores. All the equipment they sell, everybody else or most of the other stores sell. But it's the way this stuff is sold, and more than that, it's the way the people, their attitude towards what they sell. This is, this is of, of great importance in electronic equipment. If there's anything that bothers me, it's going into one of these big mass shops where you, where you tell the guy and he hollers into a PA system, uh, 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 an intercom, say, oh, give me one of the DB-17 amplifier, yeah, oh, yeah. And then it comes down a big chute and it's all wrapped up and the guy hands it to you and there's 15 guys waiting behind you and you walk out and you have the feeling when you go out, boy, not only did he not even see you, but when you come back with this thing, he's going to look at you with exactly the same, what do you mean, whatever it is as soon as it starts getting that buzz, you know. <laughs> I can say this, that that I know of no other equipment. Sure, you can buy a shirt because you never take a shirt back to have it fixed. You can buy pants and you never take them back to have them fixed. Uh, buy them anywhere. But electronic equipment, be careful, buddy, be careful. And I would like to say that if you are an owner of any hi-fi equipment or would like to buy some, by George, you should know about the electronic workshop. This is at 26th West 8th Street. It's very easy to get to. And by the way, they install their equipment throughout the entire New York area. So you don't have to go down there. You don't have to, if you're afraid of going to the village or if you think you'll get lost, if you're living out of town, you should know about the village because the, the electronic workshop, because they install their hi-fi equipments, they install their hi-fi setups in your home all over the New York area. You don't even have to go down there. You can call them. Talk to them on the phone, tell them how much you want to spend, and they will put together absolutely the best you can get for the money. And I'll guarantee a person they'll do this. 
This is not a phony outfit, and it's awfully hard to run a straight organization in this world, believe me. Uh, oh, yeah, somebody just called and, and held a big sign. They're having a big sale on audio components. Well, that sale started two weeks ago, and what it really is is a spring clearance sale. Every, every spring, uh, the audio component section of the electronic workshop has a big clearance where they put all kinds of things up at special prices only for about three weeks or so in the springtime. And if you're planning to buy anything in the component line, you better get down. But this is the electronic workshop at 26 West A Street, and their telephone number is Gramercy 30140. If you're living any place in the New York area, over in Jersey or anywhere within uh, within uh, up up in Westchester County, and you're having trouble getting your equipment fixed in your neighborhood, give them a call, and they come out to see you. They will put your equipment in and guarantee it for one solid year themselves. Not the equipment guarantee, but it goes further than that. And the number again is Gramercy 30140. Gramercy 30140. Now, uh, one more thing too. Uh, that that uh, of course this is a it, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a kind of a thing that <laughs> somebody called up and said, Shepard, you are a being unfit to print. That's quite true. I. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's a it's 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 hard to say. It really is. You have to find seventeen ways to say it. You find seventeen ways to say it, and then you realize you have to find seventeen other ways to say it. It's that little part of you, of me, of all of us, that little part down in there, that that many of us just walk around and skirt, you know, we kind of look at him. Kind of, it's like getting into that whoopee cab this morning. I sat in the whoopee cab, and we're heading downtown, and that sun is being aggressive as all get out, and I go through Times Square. Have you noticed that Times Square is an aggressive section of the city, just as real estate? I, I, if you took all the buildings away from Times Square, just leveled the whole island of Manhattan, just cleaned off all the concrete and everything, I'm sure that the ground under where Times Square was would still sound like a calliope. It would still be there waiting to lay out the thing there for you so that you'd trip over it and fall in up to your neck. And so I'm sitting in the back of this cab, the whoopee cab, and I'm looking out and I'm, I'm feeling kind of sleepy and it's a beautiful, fantastic Saturday morning. I'm sitting there on the back of that cab and the door is saying whoopee on both sides. I can hear the popcorn popping in Times Square, and I see this gigantic sign. Have you noticed, by the way, speaking of gigantic signs, there's a sign for a suntan outfit. And uh, it's looking out over Times Square, and, and the suntan outfit features a little girl, this little girl who's about maybe four or five, and somebody has reached up, and they're pulling her little... She's, she's wearing a little bathing suit, and somebody is kind of pulling it down, a dog or something. Have you seen that ad? Well, let me tell you this. I mean, yeah, it's cute, but I'll, I'll tell you something else about it. If you have noticed, you will find that in almost all of the areas of advertising now, they are going into sexy little girls as the business of advertising their... And I'm talking about sexy little girls. Little seven-year-old girls were looking out at out at you from the ad seductively. I mean, seven-year-old girls. And more and more, I'm beginning to understand why Lolita was a tremendous success here in the United States. We are bugged, man. We got that problem, man. 
And old Freud talked about it a long, long time ago. It hasn't become officially codified, that's true. But the, the, the youth thing, the problem of, oh boy, it gets a, ooh, you know, ooh. Well, I was looking at a, I was looking at an ad for spark plugs the other day, and here is this little nine-year-old girl looking out at us, and, and there is a look in her eye that unmistakably says she is selling more than spark plugs. Whew! And I look at this and I says, no, oh no, no, stop it, stop it. This means jail. This means, this means disgrace. This means, this means eternal damnation. But she just kept looking out at me from that slick magazine, that little nine-year-old girl with that flickering eye. And I began to see that there was more here than, than a spark gap. Well, there was actually a spark gap. <laughs> yes, sir, that's my baby. Well, speaking of babies, we have with us this morning Ripple, which is a new product of Gallo Wine. And uh, Gallo Wine is in Modesto, California, in case you're interested where they're located. But... But uh, Ripple, Ripple. Oh, incidentally, have you ever wondered why at the end of every beer commercial or every wine commercial they say, uh, the product of Wananami Brewing, uh, Rawway, New Jersey? Have you ever noticed that? They'll say it very fast. Now, they don't say, have you noticed that they don't say at the end of an automobile commercial, the product of uh, Chevrolet Motors, Detroit, Michigan? They don't say that. Well, the reason is that there's a, there's a law that says that if you have a beer or a wine commercial, you have to say where it was made. I don't know what, what this is for or why, but there is a law that says it. So this is a product of Gallo Wine, Modesto, California. And they've made wines for a long... Incidentally, I think they make one of the better red wines, just for a cheap red wine. It's not a cheap red wine. It's a, it's a good red wine. But I'm not selling that. What I'm selling here is Ripple. And uh, you will find that Ripple has the ring-a-ding flavor, whatever that is. <laughs> But Ripple does taste and has an unusual taste that, that is like no other wine you have ever tasted. And I'll say this. I have found among people I know who have drunk it that either they like it fantastically or they can't stand it. It's one way or the other, which uh, to me is a good... Uh, I think this is a plus. But uh, Ripple wine, Ripple, it comes in a little bottle. It comes in one of these little soft drink bottles so you can pretend to be a sociable while you're knocking it down, but actually you're doing something else. It comes in a little bottle, or 33 cents a bottle, and it should be served absolutely ice cold. It's Ripple. It is different. Uh, I'm sitting, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting in the back of that cab, and I'm trying to figure out how to say it. I mean, the, 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 the guys in the gondolas are in the union, and the A-bomb shelter that we've got can be turned into a playroom, and this little girl is looking down at me. She's hawking suntan lotion, and I've just been looking at this little chick who's been selling spark plugs to me and something else, quite obviously, too. And then there then there was this friend of mine who picked up a bride magazine, of all things, and sent me the clipping of it, a bride magazine. And in the bride magazine, which is all about brides, you see, it tells all about how, how brides should buy this furniture and buy that furniture. And there's an article to the brides, and it says, you know, it's nice to have a man around the house, in addition to being a bride. And it shows the man, and the man is sort of blended in with the rest of the furnishings. And it says, a man really completes your home, bride. Uh, the, the perfect final touch to those beautiful things that you have bought, those expensive Danish pieces of furniture, a man completes the picture. And I realized that there I was, right there with the sideboards, 
man, all of man, is, is <laughs> the men today, in, in many of the magazines, the women magazines, has kind of been relegated to the position of a well-designed piece of European furniture that occasionally you have trouble with. Of course, you've got to keep a, uh, the, the service department open considerably to take care of it. But you're, you're her best accessory man. Just hope for the day when one of the, one of the, one of the female magazines has a giant fold-out you know, like Playboy has, a big fold-out that has nothing but a woman on it. Big. Hey, you know what's going to happen one day? I'm predicting one day that, that, that one of the magazines, I would like to make a prediction. In fact, I'm going to suggest it right now to Playboy, that one day Playboy is going to come out with a fold-out. It's going to be a three-panel fold-out. You know the fold-outs they have that have nothing but a big picture of a girl there, see, and she's usually draped over a hi-fi set and everything she has. Somehow she's been caught in a high wind, and she has been divested of most everything. I presume it's a high wind. I don't know how she got like that. But uh, uh, here, here she is, you see. There is going to be a day when one of their fold-outs, you're going to fold it, unfold it, and it's going to be a completely clothed woman. She is going to be completely clothed absolutely completely clothed from head to foot beautifully done up and in four colors and you know what's going to happen this magazine is going to get stopped by the males as being an indecent magazine <laughs> let me tell you uh, oh yes the imagination daddy-o is much better than anything that, that reality can conjure up anything and while we're on the subject of the imagination, we have with us one of our really favorite people, and it's the Village Voice this afternoon. And uh, I, I don't know whether or not this is the kind of this is the kind of paper that the Village Voice is. I haven't said much about one of their best writers uh, because she is so good that you just don't say much about her. She doesn't go in for the for the jazzy uh, gimmicks the jazzy remarks as far as her work is concerned. She is one of the finest writers in her field in the city. And the other day I received a letter from the head of one of the top galleries in New York. Very important gallery. This guy wrote to me and he said, Shepard, why don't you ever mention Suzanne Klip Kiplinger? He says, why don't you ever mention Suzanne Kiplinger, who is becoming one of the best art critics to be in the journalistic field in America today? through the pages of the Village Voice. And listen what she says about the Washington Square art, Outdoor art, art Show, which, to me, is one of the most frightening art shows I've ever seen. I go down there like... I'll go down there the same way that you go to a freak show or something. It's terrible. One of the most fantastically bad art shows in the history of mankind. But here's what Suzanne Kiplinger says about the Washington Square Outdoor Art Show. Try saying that fast. Washington Square Outdoor Art Show. She says, no question about it, the Washington Square Outdoor Art Show is morbidly fascinating. Every time I start out to look at it, I'm convinced that the only copy I'll turn in will be Fa Suzanne Kiplinger. <laughs> but by the time I've passed the first dozen painters, I am shaken by fury, disbelief, and laughter. And 20 phrases of acid comment have, have leapt into my brain, a veritable nosegay of derision. And a hundred burning questions are dancing like sugar plums in my head. Where do these artists come from? What makes them think they know anything about painting? How can they possibly get any pleasure from producing this trash? Who gives those absurd prizes for those laughably bad paintings? 
And even more fascinating, where do their patrons come from? It's a positive sideshow of squares. Quote, people so inflexible you can almost hear them squeak. As Jean Shepard says, she quotes me, I said this on a show a couple of months back, she obviously remembers it. And those who aren't terribly square are bizarre, like this very short, very stout, very pregnant woman I saw, wearing a beach hat at least a foot and a half wide with 87 varieties of flora and fauna gambling about on it, a hat which would have been unfortunate on Susie Parker. Look, this is all well and good and quite true. And I think that the Village Voice says more about art than any newspaper in the in the New York area right now. And Suzanne Kiplinger is doing it. And if you want to know about this paper, give them a call at Watkins 4-4669. I think this is the biggest $3 you will spend this year. For $3, they will send you the Village Voice every solitary week. And believe me, by the end of the sixth week, you will be hooked. Watkins 4-4669. And no matter where you live, they will take the call collect. Give them a call, the Village Voice. I'll be back tomorrow at five minutes past nine riding a whoopee cab. Over WOR Radio, your station for news. Attention Plainview residents, a brand new ultra-modern, completely decorated wall bomb supermarket has...